Turn in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 14. That should sound familiar. At the end of the service, I said I had a surprise for you. One of our missionaries sent an update video. Uh, and so at the end of the service, we're going to listen to that. I'm going to preach short tonight. And all God's people said, you're not supposed to say amen. You are not, that's not the right answer there. You're in the book of Exodus, chapter number 14. We read the verses this morning. We're going to read some of them again tonight, just to bring to your memory. Uh, and anybody remember what the title of the message was today? Anybody listening this morning? It's a test. Hmm? So that was this morning. Yes, what was tonight's message title? A Red Sea decision. A Red Sea moment. A Red Sea decision. There are going to be times in your life when you come to a moment. Now, let me tell you, I ragged on the children of Israel this morning. I did. They whined. They murmured. Uh, and it's not a good thing. It's not pleasant. It doesn't look pleasant. But the children of Israel face some pretty tough things. Can you imagine with me standing at the Red Sea? You're camped at the Red Sea. You are trapped. There's an army coming at you. You know it. And you know that their intent is either one, kill you, or two, get you back into slavery. You're not getting out of this alive. That's a scary moment to be in. <clears throat> and they're here at the Red Sea facing this moment. And so can I tell you that I understand why they were scared? I would have been scared. I understand that, that fear that wells up inside of you and that not understanding how this is going to work out. But I also take comfort in the fact that while I don't know everything, I have served a God that knows everything. I know a God that holds tomorrow. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever, and he'll never change. And he promised to never leave us or forsake us. And I take comfort in that. So when we come to those Red Sea moments, we can know that God is in control. My dad's a pastor in Northern Virginia, Fairfax County, Virginia, uh, the second richest county in the United States next to a county in California somewhere. It's expensive to live there. My parents paid $100,000 for their house. It's an 1,100-square-foot tri-level. Uh, beautiful home, but it's nothing magnificent. It's not huge or anything. They bought it for $100,000, just over $100,000. Their neighbor across the street with an identical house just sold their house for well over $500,000. Uh, it's an expensive place to live. It's an expensive place to be. Uh, but they, Fairfax County, Virginia, hates churches. You go, in the United States of America, they hate churches. They do. Why? Churches are tax-exempt. They don't pay taxes. Uh, my dad's church has been in a building project for the last 12 years. And they have yet to break ground. Because every time they go, they tell, something, they tell them something different. Just We were home uh, two weeks ago. Uh, and I was at my dad's church, and I said, how's the building project coming? Because they've had the plans there since I was uh, in college, all right, 12 years. And he goes, well, it's, it's going. I said, well, what happened? He goes, well, we printed the blueprints, and we followed their directions to a T. And they tell you, uh, if you've ever built anything, you have to use a certain font, certain colors, certain lines. It has to be put out a certain way. You have to have certain things listed. He goes, and so we followed them step by step on what to do. He goes, and then we got the plans back, and the person who looked at our plans decided they didn't like the font. And so we have to go redraw all the plans and put a different font on them because they didn't like the font, even though we used the font that they were supposed to use. And so we have to redo it, which costs money. Then we have to reapply, which means Fairfax County gets more money. And then we have to go to meetings 
which they have to pay money to go to. He goes, it's just we're dumping money down the drain, but they're trying to get more and more money out of them. But there came a point in that building project when they were facing an expiration date where if they didn't get uh, an approval by that next weekend, they were going to have to start the process all over again. At this point, I think they had been in the building project for eight or nine years. Eight or nine years of work were going to be down the tube, weren't going to matter. They're going to have to start over with fees, applications, plans, new people, new things. And they were at a Red Sea decision because, can I tell you, I talked to my dad on the phone and I could tell he was discouraged. I could tell he was frustrated. And he said, I just, I just don't know what to do. We can't go forward. We can't go backwards. We're just stuck here waiting for God to do something. And can I tell you, when you're stuck and you're waiting for God to do something, God's about to do something, and it's about to be awesome, even more than you could imagine. If we ask, God says he'll do even more than we could ask or think, if we ask anything in his name. Dad said, I know he's about to do something great, but I just don't know what it is. And it's hard standing here at the Red Sea staring at it. I don't know what your Red Sea is tonight, but can I promise you that if you're standing there, you can't go backwards, you can't go forward, you don't know what to do, you've got a God who sees you. He's about to do something great. We're going to show you, share with you three quick things tonight. You're in Exodus chapter number 14, verse 1. The Bible says, <coughs> And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel that they turn in and camp before Vaheroth. You can say I'm pronouncing that wrong. I probably am. Between Migdal and the sea, over against Baal Zephron, before it shall ye encamp by the sea. So they're camped out. We know that. They're there. They're by the sea. The Red Sea is in front of them. And then the Egyptian army comes, verse 9. But you know something that I find interesting? God's talking here in the first verses. God's told them to camp in verse 1 and verse 2. But look at verse 3 with me. This is God speaking to Moses. Nothing has happened yet, but God says, For Pharaoh will say of the children of Israel, they are entangled in the land. The wilderness has shut them in, and I will harden Pharaoh's heart, that he shall follow after them, and I will be honored upon Pharaoh and upon his host, and the Egyptians may know that I am the Lord. And they did so. I want to share with you first that we serve an intentional God. Nothing takes him by surprise. He does everything for a reason. Lots of things take us by surprise. A diagnosis may take us by surprise. A bill, isn't that wonderful to go to your mailbox and get a bill and have it take you by surprise? That's why a pastor makes fun of my informed delivery digest I get every day. But I get every piece of mail scanned to me. Uh, and if it's not something I want, if it's a bill, I just leave it sitting in the mailbox for a couple days. I've got a locked mailbox. Nobody can get to it. I look at my bills all on one day. Now, if it's a card I think might have money in it, then I'll go get that card. Uh, but I, I don't. I don't like surprises like that. We got a call about two months ago. Landon is, how old are you, Landon? He is four years old. We got a call from a collections agency saying, hey, you owe us $900 from an appointment, a pre-birth appointment in 2014. Go, 24? That's five years ago. Why haven't I gotten a call about this before? Oh, we don't know. Well, who's it for? I don't know. Uh, those are not good phone calls to get. I don't like knowing that I owe somebody $900 when I thought I owe nobody any money. But here, here we get these calls and we're faced with a decision. We don't know what to do. And they didn't take God by surprise. Can I tell you? Whatever situation you were in, God knew before you were even born what was going to happen. That's the, 
it, it, hurts, it hurts my mind to think about how God knows everything. God knows the decisions we're going to make, right or wrong, and he allows us to make them. He knows the outcome, and he desires for us to make the wrong decision, but he knows what's going to happen before it happens, and he gives us free will. It just hurts my mind to think about all this, but God knows everything. He's omniscient. He's omnipotent. He's all-powerful. He's all-knowing, and he's intentional. He said, hey, Pharaoh's going to come. He'll say to the children of Israel, they are entangled in the land. He knew what Pharaoh was going to say. But how do we know he's intentional? Verse 4, and I will harden Pharaoh's heart that he shall follow after them, and I will be honored upon Pharaoh and upon all his hosts, for the Egyptians may know that, there's that phrase I told you to watch, how we are going to see several times today, that they may know that I am the Lord. Can I tell you, if you're going through a difficult time, you may not know, and I don't know, what it is. You may not know why. I may not be able to tell you why. But a lot of times we face things so that others may know the Lord. So that others may know who the Lord is. The children of Israel were getting ready to go through a difficult thing. The Egyptians were going to come after them. But God knew and God told Moses, this is going to happen and it's going to happen and I will take care of it so that the Egyptians, unsaved, may know that I am the Lord. And they did so. Exactly what God said happened. Isn't that exciting? Don't you wish you could do that? Man, I'd be the richest man on earth if I could tell you what the stocks were going to do in the next year. That way you'd know what to invest in and uh, you would have all this heads up and you would be rich. But we don't have that, but we serve a God who does. He knows exactly what's going to happen and he's intentional in what he does. Nothing happens by accident. Now, can I tell you this? Be careful. People will look at you when you face a hard time and say, oh, this must be God's judgment on their life. I wonder what they did. My mom had back surgery when I was young. And I will never forget my dad had just started pastoring. And uh, one of the church members came over and said, well, what did your wife do? And I went, what do you mean, what did my wife do? That is not the right question to ask, all right? It's not. Because not everything that happens bad to us is because a punishment for sin. And nobody's going to know that except for that person that it's happening to. You can't look at somebody's heart and go, oh, yep, they're being punished for this, this, and this, and I know that. It's between them and God, but, uh, you know, it's intentional. God knew it was going to happen, and God will use those things to good. We know Romans 8.28 says all things, even the bad things, work together for good. And that's where a lot of people stop. But it doesn't work together to good for everybody, does it? All things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. Do bad things happen to good people? Yes. Look at the life of Job. Lost everything. His kids, his houses, his animals, his wealth. And he came to where his own health, where he was sitting in a pile of ashes with a pot, scraping boils off of his skin. Do bad things happen to good people? Yes. Why? Well, one reason is because of sin. We live in a sin-cursed world. We live in an imperfect world with imperfections in it. But a lot of times God uses those things to draw us closer to him, to draw others closer to him, to be a witness for him. One of my friends growing up, um, he was older than I was. He was having a child, and uh, he, 
the child they found out was going to have severe disabilities, probably wasn't going to live very long, similar to what Reagan's been diagnosed with, uh, but more severe uh, in uh, abnormalities. And that little boy only lived, he lived till his mom's birthday. I want to say he was 10 months old. But can I tell you that he had 200 people at his funeral saved, unsaved, nurses that had come into contact with him, doctors, people that were amazed. He was a miracle that he lived past birth. And can I tell you that there are people that came to the knowledge of Christ because of that little boy who couldn't even talk, who couldn't feed himself even. But that little boy, God used it for good. And so I can't come to you and you come to me and say, but Daniel, why is this happening to me? I, I don't know. But can I promise you that God's in control and he is a God that is a intentional God. Number two, though, he's not just intentional, but he also fights for us. Our God fights for us. He is there with us in the thick of the battle. He's not just a God that goes, I know what's going to happen. Good luck. <laughs> I wish you the best. Go get him. Now, I've done that before. I said, hey, uh, especially when I worked with teenagers, I go, we need this job done. How are we going to do it? I have no idea. Good luck. Go figure it out. We'll see how it goes. Let me know how it ends. Uh, but that's not how God does. If God brings us to something, he'll help us. He'll bring us through it, and he'll fight for us. You look at this story. Verse 15 with me, Exodus 14, verse 15. The Bible says, And the Lord said unto Moses, Wherefore criest thou unto me? Speak unto the children of Israel that they go forward. But lift thou up thy rod, and stretch out thine hand over the sea, and divide it. And the children of Israel shall go on dry ground through the midst of the sea. And I, behold, I will harden, and I, behold, I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians, and they shall follow them. And I will get me honor upon Pharaoh and upon all his hosts, upon his chariots and upon his horsemen. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I have gotten me honor upon Pharaoh, upon his chariots and upon his horsemen. How many people, Egyptians, did the children of Israel have to kill? Zero. Did they have to draw their swords? No. What did they have to do? Walk. They had to walk through on dry ground. They had to see the cool water, go touch and try to get a fish out of it. They had to get to the other side of the Red Sea. That's all they had to do. And God fought their battles for them. For them. He fights for us. He's intentional. He knows what's going to happen, but he also fights for us. Not only does he fight for us, though, number three, he provides a way out. There's light on the other side. Whatever you're going through, there's, there is an end. I don't know what that end is. Uh, one day we're all going to be in heaven together. And what a great and glorious day that will be. But God provides a way out. God will provide, uh, there is no temptation taking you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape. He'll provide a way out that you may be able to bear it. God will provide a way for you to get through whatever you get through. I know I'm using myself a lot. Uh, a lot of this message is born out of what I've experienced the last six months of my life. Back in the end of May, beginning of June, uh, we had some friends who were 39 weeks pregnant, excited about a baby, and the heartbeat just stopped. And I looked at Kelly and I said, I can't, we had the conversation, I can't imagine ever going through anything like that. I would just fall completely apart because that's terrible. I wouldn't wish that on my worst enemy. 
And then four weeks later, literally, we got the diagnosis, and I said, you know what? I'm not going to have to wonder what it's like to go through that, something like that anymore. I'm going to understand that, and I don't want to understand it. I don't want to. But my God is faithful. He's intentional. He fights for me, and he'll provide a way out. He will strengthen us. He'll give us exactly what we need. And can I promise you that God's way is always perfect. Turn with me to Isaiah chapter 55 as we finish up this evening. Isaiah chapter 55. And verse number 8. Isaiah chapter 55, if you have a heading at the top of it, it probably says something like, blessings for those who seek God. Let's start in verse number 6. Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call ye upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way, and the unrighteous man his thoughts, and let him return unto the Lord, and he will have mercy upon him, and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Would we choose to go through trials and hurt and heartache and uh, everything? No, we wouldn't choose that, but God's ways aren't always our ways. His thoughts aren't our thoughts. We try to understand God and what he's doing, and a lot of times we're not going to be able to because we aren't God. Uh, you've probably heard me say before, and I don't know if I've used this, but forgive me, I'm going to use it again. I love music. An orchestra director sees the entire orchestra, and, and he knows what's best because he can hear everything. When you're singing in the choir, you can hear you, maybe the people on either side of you, and Pastor Wagner's directing, and he's going, okay, sopranos, you need to back, it's usually the sopranos, okay, sopranos sing loud, that's just who they are. Sopranos, you need to back off a little bit. And then he might look at the altos and goes, altos, you need to sing out a little bit more. Uh, and the, you know, the sopranos could go, who is he to tell me what to do? I am an angelic angel sent to this choir to bless the world with my voice. I'm going to sing as loud as I want to sing, because you know that's how all sopranos are. Uh, and the altos are going, I just kind of want to hide here underneath the sopranos because I really don't want to be heard. I just kind of want to be here and, you know, uh, I don't want anybody to hear me. I don't want to sing out. And we could go against what the director says, but that director knows what's best because he's standing here listening to everything. He has a different vantage point. And God is sovereign. He is in heaven. He sees the entire world right now, and he knows what's happening in Africa while he knows what's happening here, and his way is best. His way is perfect. It might not be what we had chosen. It might not be what we want, but God's way is perfect. I don't know if you've heard this song before. I believe it was written by Ron Hamilton. It's called His Way is Perfect. It says this, when my way seems dark and drear, and the future I don't know, my heart feels so empty and the tears unending flow. When my heart breaks with sorrow and a tempest fills my soul, this one thing I know for sure, my God is in control. When the toils of life are come and my heart is worn with care, I faint neath the burden of a cross that I cannot bear. When the joy has departed from my sorrow-stricken soul, this one thing I know for sure, my God is in control. His way is perfect. His way is perfect. Though I don't understand His wise and loving plan, 
His way is perfect. His way is perfect. Take my life and make a vessel purified. God makes no mistakes. His way is best. I don't understand everything. I wish I did. I don't have all the answers. I wish I did. But God's way is always the best way. It's not always the easiest way. It's not always the most fun way. What does the Bible say? Broad is the way that leadeth to destruction. The easy way isn't always the best way. God's way might be narrow. It might be harder. It might be uh, full of heartache at times. It might be, uh, a lot of times it's full of joy, is it not? We get so focused on the negatives and on ourselves. I think it was in Sunday school I talked about this morning. We get so focused, we get the me focus. It's all, look at what terrible is happening to me and what's, what's, nothing as good is going on, and we forget that there's a world around us that's going through heartache as well. There's other people in this church going through heartache. Hey, but God's way is always perfect. 